Chapter 18 of Captain Salt in Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Captain Salt in Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. Chapter 18 A New Country. Driven by the pitiless wind, pounded by the merciless sea, the crescent moon rolled before the gale, coming toward morning into quiet waters at last. The sky, now pale gray instead of black, showed a small single star in the east, and with a huge sigh of weariness and relief, Samuel let go the anchor and bade his crew turn in all standing. This they were only too glad to do, sleeping heavily and thankfully in their clothes. Nikobo still wrapped in her sails, snoring like a whole band of music beneath the mizzenmast. Tandy, to whom the storm had been a thrilling adventure, was the first to waken. Still stiff and bruised from the pounding he had taken as the crescent moon tossed and pitched in the terrible seas, he sprang eagerly out of his bunk, curious to know where the storm had carried them. The morning mists, lifting like a shimmering veil or the curtain of a stage on some so new and strange scene, showed a long white line of chalk cliffs to the east, and beyond the cliffs the dim outline of a great and splendid city. With joy and lively expectations, Tandy had run out on deck, but now, after a long look over the port rail, he crept silently and soberly back to his cabin, closing the door softly behind him. Later, as the sun rose higher and his shipmates awoke, the excited screams of Nicobo and Roger and the eager voices of Samuel and Atto told him that they too had seen the bright land beyond the cliffs. Already Samuel was clearing up his sail, and above the rattle in the rigging, Tandy could hear the rasp of the anchor cable as it came winding over the side. But he only bent lower over the fat book in his lap and when the reed-bird, loudly calling his name, came hurtling through the porthole, he did not even look up. "'Land! Land and more land!' croaked Roger, dancing up and down on the foot of the bunk. "'None of your pesky islands this time, but a whole long new continent. "'What insults the matter, youngster? This is no time to be a reading. "'Come on, come on, the captain's looking for you.' As Roger peered sharply down at the book in Tandy's lap, two tears splashed on the open page. Quickly brushing two more of his nose, the ship's cabin boy unwillingly met the puzzled gaze of the reed bird. Roger, demanded Tandy in a smothered and unsteady voice, which is most important, being a king or being a person? Roger, his head on one side, considered this for a moment, and then spoke quickly. Well, you can't be a good king without being a good person, so I should say being a good person is most important. But it says here, with a furious sniff, Tandy put his finger on the middle paragraph of the page, In no circumstances and for no reason may a king forsake his country nor desert his countrymen. What's that? What is this? Huh, maxims for monarchs. Well, what in topsails do we care for that musty volume? Giving the book a vicious shove, Roger, forgetting how much he had formerly praised Atto's fat volume, fluttered down on Tandy's shoulder. So that's it, he burst out explosively. This pernicious country yonder is Ozamaland. Well, we can't spare you and that's final. 
They didn't know how to treat a good king when they had one. Now let them practice on somebody else. Say the word, my lad, and we'll put about and sail away as fast as a good ship can take us. Captain! Master Salt! Deck ahoy! All hands ahoy! Without waiting for Tandy's answer, Rogers came through the port and winged over to the captain. Wait! Wait! sputtered Tandy, hurrying aft where the officers and crew of the Crescent Moon were now engaged in earnest conversation. Don't you remember you wanted some of those creeping birds and flying reptiles, Captain? Well, this is the place, puffed the little boy, waving his arm toward the cliffs. This is the Zamaland, and I've got to go ashore. It's really all right, he continued earnestly as Samuel began unhappily rubbing his chin. It's been a grand voyage, and I've learned a lot, but a king has to stick to his post, hasn't he? Not all the time, snapped Atto, giving his belt an indignant jerk. You stuck to your post, and then they stuck you in a tower, and then in a pig pen in the jungle. So what do you owe them? Nothing, says I. Absolutely nothing. But Samuel Salt, regretfully as he was to lose this handy young artist and cabin boy, felt that Tandy must decide the matter for himself. If you are as good a king as you are a seaman, I'm not the one to hold you back, he sighed sorrowfully. But just let these lovers start any more nonsense, and I'll give them a taste of the rope. Ha! I will not be leaving you till everything's shipshape, and you can lay to that. I'm not leaving you at all, snorted Nikobo, lumbering hugely over to Tandy and almost flattening him against the port rail. I'll miss this ship worse than the river, and Atta's cooking and the captain's stories and Roger's jokes. But wherever Tandy goes, I go, and that's flat. Just plain noddling nonsense, putting him ashore, fumed Atto angrily. He's not old enough to manage these wild tribesmen and scheming aristocrats. Besides, we need him on this expedition, and you know it. Samuel, sighing deeply, smiled at Tandy, and Tandy, sighing just as deeply, smiled back. Never you mind, promised the former pirate, with a wink that somehow lacked conviction. There will be other voyages. And seizing the wheel, he began tacking in toward Tandy's homeland but he had lost all pleasure and interest in charting for the first time on any map the long continent of Tarara and adding strange animals and plants to his ever-growing collection. Losing Tandy spoiled the whole expedition for him, and by taking longer and wider tacks he delayed their landing to the latest possible moment. But at last, there they were, in the very shadow of the chalk cliffs and with no further excuse for not going ashore. Nicobo had agreed to carry them and had abruptly heaved herself overboard, sending up a fountain of spray as high as the ship itself when she struck the water, thus astonishing to no end the watchers on the bank. Tandy, after running down to the hall to say goodbye to Morphy and have a last look at the jellyfish boy, regretfully joined the others at the port rail. Having brought nothing aboard the crescent moon, he insisted on leaving the same way, soberly waving aside all the gifts and presents Atzo and Samuel sought to press upon him. Clad only in the leopard skin he had worn on Pachupani Island, he swung nimbly down the rope ladder. The captain and the cook, in honor of Tandy's homecoming, had donned their finest shore-going togs, and Samuel, with his scimitar in his teeth, and Atzo, armed as usual with his spirit knife and a package he refused to explain, followed him more slowly down the ladder. Then they all climbed aboard the hippopotamus. Roger, flying ahead with some Oz flags just for luck, 
could not help comparing the brown, hard-muscled young seaman with the skinny, fretful boy they had taken on a Patrippany island. Trying to comfort himself with Tandy's improved health and spirits, he looked curiously at the great company assembled on the cliffs. All of the nobles and their families, in flowing white robes, were present, and many of the immense turbaned tribesmen who happened to be in the capital had gathered to see for themselves the first ship that had ever touched the shore of Osamaland. Beyond the nobles and natives, Roger could see row on row of white guards mounted on enormous white elephants and snow-white camels. Trouble, trouble, nothing but trouble, mourned the reed bird, dreadfully to himself. Tandy, familiar with the whole coast, guided Nicobo to the only possible spot for landing, and grunting and mumbling, the hippopotamus hauled herself up on the rocks, glancing sharply and suspiciously at the little boy's subjects. A narrow path wound and curved up through the cliffs, and puffing and panting, Nicobo finally made her way to the top, where she stood uncertainly facing the milling multitude. Hail and greetings, called Samuel Salt, raising his arm to attract their attention, for the crowd looked both dangerous and unfriendly. We are here to return to you safe and sound your lost king, Tazander Tazar, rescued by us from the wild jungle of Pachapani Island. King, king, shrilled a dozen shrill and unbelieving voices. Where, where? And everyone craned his neck to get a better view of Nicobo and her three curious riders. Is it really our lost and stolen kinglet? Yes, cried Tandy, springing erect. I am Tazander Tazar, king's son and son of a king's son. You are my lawful subjects and Ozamalan is my kingdom. A little shiver of excitement ran through the crowd at these words. He does in truth resemble our young ruler, murmured one noble to another, though much stronger and more bold. Drawing a long sword, he waved it imperiously above his head. Summon the other mandarins, he called loudly. They will decide whether this be our king or some small impostor, and death to all strangers and enemies who come in ships to lay waste our realm. Oh, hold your tongue! advised Atto, selling himself more comfortably between Nicobo's shoulders. Who are you to challenge the royal explorer of Oz, the king of the Octagonal? And his royal reedbird, piped Roger, flying savagely round and round the head of the speaker. Yes, who are you to challenge the rightful ruler of Ozamaland? cried Tandy, folding his arms and gazing calmly out over the curious throng. Hi, is this the young slip they kept locked in the tower? Hoo-hoo! yelled an old tribesman, brandishing his long lance. He's the salt of the sea and the sand of the desert. Shame on you, Zaman, not to recognize and welcome your young king. I am for you, young one, down to my last breath. In spite of these brave words, the nobles, natives and guards made no move or motion to let Nicobo pass through. Then suddenly there was a break in the crowd, and the nine square-hatted Zamandarins stepped rigidly forward. And nine taller, thinner, meaner visage rogues, decided Samuel, lovingly fingering his scimitar. It had never been his misfortune to encounter. Didjabo, recognizing Tandy at once in spite of his new and seamanlike bearing, was the first to speak. The blessing of the stars, moon and sun upon you, cried the wily chief, bowing rapidly ten times in succession. And upon these strangers who have brought you safely back to these shores. Welcome, most welcome, small king, and ruler of the Ozamanders. 
speaking calmly but with black fury in his heart to have his plan so unexpectedly thwarted, Didjabo advanced rapidly toward Nikobo. And now that you are here and really safe, we must see that you are locked securely in the white tower of the wise man, away from all future hurt and harm. Reaching the side of the hippopotamus, he put up his hand to help Dandy dismount. But I'm not going back to the tower, said Tandy, looking the chief ozamandering straight in the eye. Ever. I'm riding on to the castle, so kindly order some refreshments for my friends and shipmates. Hi, aye, aye, approved the old tribesman, pounding the cliff with his lance. Here's a king for us. What good did your tower do before, old square hat? He was carried off in spite of it, wasn't he? Well, trot along now and do as he says. He is the king, and I'm here to see he gets his rights. Shocked by the determination in Tandy's voice and the evident delight of the crowd at his defiance, Didjabo put up his hand for silence. It is the law of the land that the nine Ozamandarings shall guard the life and preserve the health of the country's sovereign, stated Didjabo in his cold and impressive voice. Until this boy becomes of age, he must be cared for and protected from his enemies. Forward, guards, on to the tower. You others... Lidjabo nodded disagreeably at Samuel Salt, Aldo, Roger, and Nicobo. You others may return to your ship, where a suitable reward will be sent out to you. We are deeply indebted to you for finding our king, but the law of Ozamalan says that all foreigners landing on our shores shall instantly and without delay be flung over the cliffs. In your case, we graciously permit you to leave. Come, Tazanda. While Samuel Salt could not help admiring the way the old Ozamandarin was trying to keep the upper hand, he had no intention of leaving till he had assured himself that Tandy was in safe and proper hands. But surely you will wish to hear the story of how we found this boy, and explain how he happened to be on that jungle island, observed Samuel mildly. Step back, my good fellow. Nicobo has large feet, and she just might happen to trade on you. Yes, wheezed Nicobo suddenly. I just might happen to do that very thing. Slipping round to the other side of the hippopotamus, Didjabo, paying no attention to either remark, tried to pull Tandy to the ground. But the little boy, remembering Roger's advice about lovers, gave him a fast and sudden poke in the nose that sent his hat flying off and the ozamandering himself rolling head over heels. Hooray, hooray, a vast and belay, and down with old square hats forever, shrilled the reed bird while Aso and Samuel exchanged a proud and pleased glance. While the other Ozamandarins stood uncertainly, the crowd, long weary of the rigid rule of the nine judges, began to laugh and cheer. "'The king is king! Long live the king!' shouted the old tribesman vociferously. But Didjabo, pulling himself furiously to his feet, flung up his arm. "'Guards! Guards!' he screeched venomously. "'Do your work!' Save this poor misguided child from these unspeakable foreigners or we are all lost. Can you not see their savages, sorcerers and enemies? Seize the king and over the cliff with these hippopotamic invaders. End of chapter 18